Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Daniel Gallen and Dustin Hoffman-Smith. Welcome in. It's another edition of the Blue White Breakdown. Daniel Gallen, I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. We are talking Penn State, Iowa, top five showdown in Iowa City, and a top five flight coming up for Daniel Gallen. The whole Penn State beat, he was just telling me, Cedar uh, State College to Cedar Rapids. It doesn't get a whole lot more exotic than that. I hope you pack your sunscreen, Daniel. It's going to be it's going to be gorgeous. I'm excited for another wild weekend in Cedar Rapids and Iowa City. It's been a while. Uh, it's going to be a good one and defensive minded. I think everybody has the same expectation. That's 4 p.m. Uh, local time out there uh, on Fox. So uh, Penn State, Iowa on the national stage. A lot of eyeballs will be on this one. You know, I think some of the talk here with Penn State, you know, four matchups left, including this one Saturday against teams that rank in the top 11 of the AP poll. Not only Iowa coming in at number three, but Ohio State at number seven, Michigan at number nine, and Michigan State at number 11. So there's still a lot of work to be done. On the other side, you know, if Iowa passes this test against Penn State, their sailing's a little bit smoother than Penn State's is. Yeah, that's just the way that the divisions are set up right now. Uh, James Franklin was actually asked about it uh, earlier this week in terms of how he feels about how the divisions are balanced out right now. Uh, Right now, the Big Ten East, I don't necessarily think we all thought it was going to be this imbalanced. We thought Wisconsin might be better. We didn't think Michigan or Michigan State would be this improved. And then you still have Rutgers and Maryland kind of lurking there at various levels of competency, uh, depending on the week. Yeah, I mean, when you look at how the schedule shakes out, uh, Penn State still has its big-time Big Ten East matchups remaining. Iowa is in the Big Ten West. So if you want to game it out a little bit, you can look at kind of the championship scenarios and Big Ten championship game scenarios where there's a good chance that if Penn State makes it to the Big Ten championship game, this Iowa team will be there. At the same time, if Penn State were to lose to Iowa this weekend, they control their destiny still because they have still have those big games. Obviously, anything can happen. That is two months away at this point. But right now, it's it's kind of it's just interesting uh, from from a number of levels where Penn State is in really good shape. They've taken care of business, two and zero in the Big Ten. <laughs> still, still a lot left in this season. Long way to go, and I think there's still a lot to learn about these two teams that, that you're going to see in, in Iowa City on Saturday, but also, you know, what do we really know about Michigan? What do we really know about Michigan State? There's a lot of teams out there, and it's not just the Big Ten, but are still relatively untested. Um, Penn State, I feel like, I, I know you can kind of nitpick their resume, but I do feel like most of their games have provided some level of test. You know, whether that's a style standpoint, like Wisconsin, which I think was a really good warm up for Iowa, considering what Wisconsin does well. So there's a lot to learn. And then this Saturday is for, for these two teams is going to be a really good um, learning point. What, what are you looking for? Start with the Penn State team. What questions are you looking to have them try to answer? There are some obvious ones, I, I suppose. The big question comes back to the running game. 
how is Penn State going to be able to run the ball against this Iowa defense? And who is going to be running the ball against this Iowa defense? Or after the Villanova game, James Franklin said that Noah Kane was a little dinged up uh, from the week before. And then last week, we saw Kane 11 carries, 23 yards against Indiana. I'm not a doctor, but I watch a lot of football and didn't necessarily look 100%. There were a couple plays where he thought he might be able to get more than he did. And then at the same time, you have Kevon Lee breaking off the big 44-yard run. But at the same time, he's still kind of running into those issues we saw earlier with trying to bounce things, not necessarily getting north-south. So going into this, I'm thinking a lot about the Penn State running game as kind of the the linchpin. I mean, we saw it two years ago when Penn State was at Kinnick Stadium. Noah Kane really helped ice that game uh, in the fourth quarter. You know, he pounded the ball. He was the one that that salted that game away. So I think it's the type of game where that is going to pop up. James Franklin said that the offense needs to be able to get those yards in the running game when everyone in the whole stadium knows they're going to run it. So we'll see. I think we'll get the chance to see what that actually looks like if there's been changes, if there's been improvement there on Saturday. And I I think the balance thing is especially important against a defense like this one that is so opportunistic. If you start to skew one dimensional, these defensive backs from Iowa are smart and disciplined and they know how to put themselves in position to take the ball away. I'm on the side of, I do think there's been some good fortune in the, in the takeaway department. And I I don't think it's going to be something that Iowa sustains for an entire season, but there's also something fundamental about it and not being able to run kind of plays right into their hands. And James Franklin was at, Asked this week about the run game and he said something along the lines of I'd like to see us get you know trust the blocking and put our heads down and be physical and get the three four five yards to me that felt like a little bit of a message for Kevon Lee you know and and I think that's what he wants to see from Kevon Lee and it's I think it's kind of the missing ingredient for Kevon Lee to maybe take control of this backfield too yeah, and you look at Kevon Lee's 44-yard run against Indiana, it was up the middle. There was the hole, he hit it, and he was gone. Um, I think that he is going to have to get comfortable not necessarily trying to get 10 yards with every run. You got to, if you try just get three yards every run, you can get in the third and four, you can get in the third and manageable. And if you keep doing that, it'll be positive, there will be momentum, and then the holes will be there maybe you'll break one or two of those three yard runs into 10, 12, 40, 50 yard runs. So I think that that's something that you want to see. You want to see North South, especially in a game like this. I've written it a couple of times where the margin for error in this game is going to be so slim. It's always close when Iowa and Penn state play the way that both defenses are playing. You really have to take what you can when you can get it. If that means being in third and five instead of third and eight, because on on two running plays, you take it. You got to take anything that you can get uh, against this Iowa defense. On the other side of it, in the in the passing game, I think you know locally we've seen a lot of good things from Sean Clifford. Last week against Indiana was not his best performance of the year. I think everybody who follows this team very closely has seen a lot of progress from Sean Clifford. I'm not sure that that, especially I found myself reading uh, an Ohio state uh, comment section about this game. 
And the the comments on there were basically Sean Clifford sucks. So I don't think the entire Big Ten has quite gotten the memo that Sean Clifford is new and improved. And I think this game right here, obviously any game on a national stage, is a, is a proving ground. I think that's what is going on for Sean Clifford. I'm not sure he he views it that way, but there's a lot of fans in the Big Ten who aren't familiar with uh, with the new version of Sean Clifford that he can show that against Iowa. You're a brave man for reading an Ohio State comment section. I, I don't think that's something I would I would dig into uh, <laughs> too far. But lesson learned. Lesson learned here. I, I won't be back. I, I kind of talked about this. I, I think last week when I when we were going through our pick, where I said something along the lines of I wasn't going to pick Penn State to cover until I saw Sean Clifford until Sean Clifford kind of proved it to me. And then I was still hesitant to do that against Indiana, even though Sean Clifford definitely had proved it. I think that that's kind of similar with Sean Clifford, at least on the national stage and probably even locally where there is an element where you kind of keep moving the goalposts with him because you have seen how bad it can be at certain times and and how difficult it can be. And so I think there's still an element of you're not really quite believing what you're seeing out of him. Um, And I think that that's kind of the, it's going to take a little bit for the the national stage to come around because you look at the numbers and and they're good but you see 5 and 0 oh and it's only a couple weeks into the season and if you're not really looking at the actual schedule it's kind of easy to assume you know where we are where so there are some teams that have just played three bad teams uh in their five games so i think that there's kind of uh, an element where if you don't necessarily look at the resume and you just kind of think oh it's Sean Clifford through five games it's easy to win the Heisman Trophy in September. It's harder to win it in December. Uh, so I think that, you know, people are going to have to come around on him a little bit, you know, nationally. And I think this is a great opportunity uh, for for that to happen. It's going to be tough. It's just really interesting. When you think about that Maryland-Iowa game last week that I think many people were wrong about, um, that Talia Tungavailoa just kind of fell apart after that first interception. So I think that when you look at Clifford, you know, he does have that track record of, you know, he can throw interception in bunches sometimes when he makes mistakes, things can come off the swivel. We haven't seen that yet this year. So is that going to happen this year or are we going to keep on this trajectory? I think that that's kind of where you look at kind of the, where things are in the balance with him. And I, I do think the, the mental approach, you know, Clifford will go into this, you know, career wise, better tested and, and better positioned to rebound from a mistake than even Tonga Vailoa was, than Michael Penix Jr. was, Brock Purdy from Iowa State. Like, Iowa's got this tendency this year of just making life miserable on quarterbacks. And all three of those guys landed on the bench at some point in those games against Iowa. Clifford, you know, I thought week one was interesting because they had to really push through it and they really had to kind of stay patient and compose. They meaning Sean Clifford and Mike Yersich. And they did that. And I think that experience against Wisconsin uh, will be a good one for Sean Clifford. Just the the recognition that, you know, things aren't going to, it's not going to be smooth sailing for 60 minutes. I think he's, he's learned and been through that. So if he does make a mistake early, you know, there's a decent chance of that happening, whether that's just Iowa being Iowa or Clifford making a mistake. I, I, I do like his chances better this year, certainly much more than other years to bounce back from it. Yeah, there is a really interesting stat in the game notes that I've been looking at every week since that season opener. Since halftime of the Wisconsin game, Penn State has scored in every single quarter. So that's 18 straight quarters of moving the ball 
getting points. Now, when you look at it, distribution of points, that might be a little misleading where if you if you're scoring 49 points in the first half every week and then you're just packing it in in the second half you're still winning that's still fine that's one way to win a game but i think that it's a really positive thing to see that since that first half which was ugly and there were a lot of questions coming out of coming into that second half about what would happen i think that the fact that there have been points every quarter is something that you can build on and it's kind of proof of concept with this offense is working it's moving the ball Sean Clifford is leading most of those drives. It's it's working. So I think that that's something that I have thought about at the at the end of you know each game. Where I think it was after the Auburn game, uh, that would have been ten straight quarters. Then after the Villanova game, that was fourteen straight quarters. And you're kind of like, oh, this is this is working. This is this is going. And now it's up to eighteen. Uh, so that's kind of something that popped into my head and that I've been I've been thinking about a lot that. We've really seen Clifford, Yersich, and the rest of this offense kind of find its its footing. And there's been a couple of drives here and there where you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know about this. A lot of those drives involve the running game. But overall, it's hard to feel bad about this offense. I don't know that any rational person would feel bad about it with where they are right now. Yeah, I think you are in the position, you know, it's a luxury to be able to nitpick, to recognize that the running game isn't where they want it to be. And it still is nitpicking because they're scoring a lot of points and they're beating some pretty decent teams and they're, and they're being consistent. As you said, 18 quarters in a row with touchdown or with, uh, with, the, with points, that's a pretty big number. And I would venture to say the offenses from at least the past couple of years have, have not had that type of stretch, you know, just the way that they played. This is the Blue-White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our 12 locations. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. We'll come back around to Penn State, Iowa, and uh, talk about our predictions for the game a little bit. Those are on Penn Live as of Thursday, so you can see ours and Dave and Bob and some of the some of the guys from the Iowa beat are also involved there. Our, our recruiting specific element this week is focused on the tight end position. We try to do one type of thing, position group or whatever, each week. And the tight end position is very interesting in the flow of this Iowa game, in the flow of the season, and just in terms of development. Brief history, you know, when James Franklin got here, Mike Gasicki was here, was not very interested in, in blocking, took a couple years to really become the Mike Gasicki that we know today. And then when he left, that was when Pat Fryermuth arrived and he was a freshman. And there were big questions about this position group because, you know, Fryermuth was probably the best player on it, but he was a true freshman. And we've all seen how that unfolded. And by the way, in that recruiting class, 2018, it was really Mike, it was a uh, Pat Fryermuth or uh, Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts from the Philadelphia area. And they, they ended up signing Fryermuth and the rest is kind of history there. But since then have really recruited, uh, evaluated and developed tight ends at a high level. And this is what we've got now with Bretton Strange, who's a former four star from uh, West Virginia, Theo Johnson from Canada, uh, another former four star who was a high four star in the top 100, I think nationally um, in those rankings, Iowa really wanted Theo Johnson, uh, Tyler Warren, not as quite, not quite as highly regarded because he was a quarterback, uh, but you've started to see the unique 
uh, nature of, of his role in this, this Penn State offense. But um, my takeaway so far, Daniel, and you can kind of jump in there too, is uh, you know there's not a lot of volume going the tight end's direction, but you know these guys are making big plays in a lot of key moments too. They're making their touches count. I guess is my my thing with this tight end group. It's definitely quality over quantity. There are very few players on an offense where you can get quality and quantity. Jahan Dotson is one of those guys, maybe Parker Washington, depending on on the game and the matchup. So I think that you're right. The there hasn't been a lot of volume with the Penn State tight ends, but when they've when the ball comes to them, they make it count. We really saw it in that Auburn game. Six catches, 130 yards, one touchdown, plus the Tyler Warren rushing score. So it's a really impressive group. And to me, the thing that just really stands out with them is, is just how they look physically. Uh, Brenton Strange is listed as the tight end slash H back on the roster. And we've seen him line up in the backfield a couple times. And he's at 6'3, 250, which is a large man. But then Theo Johnson is listed at 6'6, six six, 256. Tyler Warren is 6'6, six six, 252. Those are some really big bodies. And when you put all three of them out there in a formation, it's, it's really hard for opposing defenses to match up. And on top of that size, some pretty crazy athletes. I forget what exactly the number is, but Theo Johnson has one of the fastest, if not the fastest 40 time among tight ends at Penn State since 2012. Uh, he's got five catches, 111 yards. Uh, four of those catches have gone at least 20 yards and he's making guys miss. I think he's just plowing over guys with the ball in his hands. When he gets the, when he gets the ball, he's really making it count. So I think that when you watch these tight ends play, it's very impressive. The numbers might not jump out to you. 13 catches, 233 yards. That doesn't necessarily seem like a lot, but when you're down by the red zone, the ball is in their hands. The ball's going to them. If it's third down, Theo Johnson is there making something happen. So on the stat sheet, it might not necessarily be the most notable thing, but in the flow of the game, when you're watching it, it, it's really hard to ignore, ignore these tight ends. And it'll be interesting to see because I think Penn State is really just kind of scratching the surface with how to get these guys into the flow of a game. And it could be game specific. And I'll I'll be interested to see, you know, with this Iowa defense, with those corners and those safeties and the danger that exists, you know, maybe the deep middle of the field and and some of the shorter stuff. Do do the tight ends play a bigger role just to kind of combat what this Iowa team's strengths are? You know, are are they going to do more? And, And I think, you know, with the Tyler Warren, wildcat package with having three tight ends potentially on the field at one time. Penn State has done a good job, I think, through five weeks of showing these different looks without having to go exhaust their wrinkles. So I think this this is, is could be a real wrinkle week when it comes to Tyler Warren, maybe throwing out of that wildcat, maybe having these guys, um, you know, instead lining up in a, a run formation and, and throwing it to them. Like, I think there are some things that they can do, especially especially with the tight ends that aren't on film yet that they've probably been saving for a moment like this one. Everyone keeps saying there's a lot more to that Tyler Warren package than we've seen. There are three designed runs, uh, two got into the end zone, one got stuffed. And then the time he got stuffed against Auburn, it looked like he was going to throw, but Auburn kind of, you know, they, they backed it up. They, they clogged things up and got him in the backfield. So everyone says there's a lot more that we're going to see out of that could be big this weekend especially when when things are going to be at a premium so i do think that this week against kind of the the stereotypical iowa big physical 
pounding. It's going to be tough to get yards. I think that you'll probably see these guys over the middle making some tough catches and and involve pretty pretty heavily without taking anything away from Jahan Dotson or Parker Washington. Let's look forward just a little bit at this tight end position. Jerry Cross is on board uh, in 2022. They also had uh, Holden Stays, who's now a, a Notre Dame commit in the 2022 class previously. Jerry Cross already at six foot six, two fifty seven. I mean, he's a big, athletic, uh, very good receiver already. And in 2023, Mega Barnwell, as I think we discussed earlier, the the commit, decommit, recommit, uh, the, that rarity. It's like a unicorn in college football. He recommitted in the 23 class. What was it? After the Ball State game, right? Like it was, uh, he was there for Ball State and then he committed. I'm, I'm trying to remember the sequence, but either way, his recommitment came after the, the Penn State tight ends were the most involved they've ever been in a game. Yeah, I think he told the staff he was going to commit during the whiteout, which is what what I've seen reported. And then he announced it uh, before the Villanova game as, as one of those game day commits. So he's someone where when you read the analysts and kind of projecting him forward, he's so large already and they expect him to keep growing. So there's some chatter about him ending up as a lineman. So we'll see. 2023 is still a decent ways away for, for when he gets here. But Jerry Cross, I think, is a really interesting prospect, a four-star number eight tight end in the composite didn't have a junior season. And I not sure if he's played yet this year. I I heard earlier that he was dealing with a little bit of an injury at the beginning of the season. But when you look at his tape from a sophomore year, he's playing wide receiver. He's still larger than everyone who's going up against him. He's making the contested catches. He's using his body. He's shedding guys in the open field. He's running by guys. It's, it's fun. I don't necessarily know how it stacks up in quality of play in Milwaukee, but just kind of looking at it, you can see what college scouts see, what you know these coaches see, and and how he could develop at the next level. Uh, let's circle back around Penn State Iowa uh, coming up on Saturday, four p.m. on Fox. Keys to the game and your prediction, which you admitted was not uh, given with a hundred percent confidence. And you know when you have two top five teams in a night ish environment um on the road in penn state's case you know it's hard it's hard to declare anything with confidence but uh you're looking for penn state's playmakers to to really carry the day here trying to figure out a key to the game that doesn't involve turnovers because that's pretty much all that we've talked about (laughs) uh uh, this week but i think that's going to come down to an individual effort from Jahan dotson parker washington keandre lambert smith kind of like what i mentioned earlier they're the guys that can make things happen no matter what they have the gravity. And I think that the emergence of Washington and Lambert Smith as potential threats has really helped Dotson, especially when you factor in those tight ends too, that there's a lot of pieces that you have to account for on the field that that can definitely help Dotson. So I think that one of those players will make a, a big play that'll swing the game could possibly win it for Penn state, but I went with the home team here. I went with Iowa 23 to 19 on last Saturday night. I was trying to to forecast what I thought the spread would open at. And it just felt like Iowa by four evenly matched, give them a little bump for, for home field. And I think that's what I'm going with uh, right now. I mean, I think it's going to be close. I wouldn't be surprised if Penn state wins, but I think that I'm kind of guilty of moving the goalposts again on the Nittany Lions. So we'll see how accountable I'll be the next time we'll talk. 
that's the beauty of giving picks is that you're almost never really brought back up to defend the pick unless you were right. Or if you, if you, if you swam against the current and you were right, then you get bragging rights. But if you are horribly wrong, you usually don't have to be accountable for it. So either way, I, I, I won't bring up anything ugly if it, if it ends up going that direction and you're not, you know, you're not wrong either. I mean, there, I think the majority of opinions across the country are, are saying home team, Iowa, uh, winning the game. I'm not, on that bandwagon and there's a couple i don't know if it's keys to the game or whatever there's two things that i I, I, two points i would want to make one is a lot of talk about this playmaking iowa defense and the takeaways and all that i think that's got to be a talking point behind closed doors with this penn state defense of of what about us this is this is our turn to kind of show the nation what we're all about and frankly you know i know the takeaways are what they are and i and iowa deserves all the credit in the world for that but i do think that penn state has a better defense than iowa's defense you know but it, it push comes to shove i would take that playmaking group um over over iowa's in in a game and I would take them in this game too. The other thing I would say is outside of last season where you can kind of tear up, you know, a lot of sheets of paper, you can throw out a lot of the results from last year. Penn State had won six games in a row against Iowa, including three at Kinnick Stadium. Like, I think there's just something fundamental and and for better or worse, you know, Kirk Ferentz is who he is. His staff is what they are. And their team tends to play the same style of football every every single year. Now, with some, some different uh, nuances based on what their personnel and what their talent level is. And this is certainly one of the more talented, I think, Iowa teams. But my point there would be Jane Franklin – whether you want to say yes, Kirk Ferentz's number, whether you want to say that Penn State just matches up well with that style of play, whatever, I I tend to think we're going to get back to that trend. I've got it at Penn State twenty one sixteen uh, for the for those reasons. So we'll see. One of us one of us will be will have a painful reminder. One of us will have a gleeful reminder next week. I was kind of hoping that we'd have a little bit of a bigger spread so I can hedge on it with with Iowa winning but Penn State covering as that's what I did uh, at Wisconsin in week one but wasn't fortunate two and a half points was uh, I, I didn't really feel like picking a, a two pointer or a one point game there. Yeah. Now I like to try to make some kind of position there. And you, you just get the feeling one way or the other that there's going to be a late score or something funky that happens in the fourth quarter that maybe takes a game that's that's tight. You know, even like in my case, Penn State could be down 16-14 with two minutes left and score a touchdown to, to walk off and win it. So we'll see. Uh, two and a half points has, has held steady for much of the week. Penn State will kick off in Iowa City against number three, Iowa, 4 p.m. on Fox. That's Daniel Gallon. I'm Dustin Hawkins with We will be back next weekend to be accountable for our predictions this week. We'll also talk some more Penn State football, some more recruiting. In the meantime, check out all Daniel's coverage, all of our coverage, penlive.com slash Penn State football. You can follow Daniel on Twitter as well, at Daniel J.T. Gallon. Until then, we'll see you next time. This is the Blue White Breakdown.